So for our uh, Christmas series this year, we've started to unfold uh, the theme of Christ's kingship. Uh, And if you were with us last Sunday, uh, Duane showed us how the virgin birth of Jesus is essential for establishing his identity as king. And we saw that in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And today we're going to be turning our attention to the narrative in Matthew chapter 2. So if you want to open your Bibles there with me. Uh, This narrative presents to us a story of two kings and two reigns. Uh, This chapter is far too long for us to walk through verse by verse, which is what we typically do. Uh, And so instead what we're going to do is we're going to be analyzing what Matthew has to say and show to us about the kingship and reign of Herod and the kingship and reign of Jesus. I believe that throughout this chapter, Matthew contrasts those things. Herod with Jesus, Herod with Jesus, Herod's reign with Jesus' reign, in order to establish for us some beautiful truths about Christ and his kingship. And those are the things that I want to dive into here this morning as we consider the reign of the king. And so as we look at this text, I'm going to read through the entirety of it since we won't be walking verse by verse through it. We need to familiarize ourselves with the story because I'll be jumping around from place to place. But as I'm reading through this, I'll be considering here that Matthew's aim is to see and submit to the reign of the true king via the contrast between Herod and Jesus. So be looking for those contrasts as we read through here. We're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 2, and we'll read through the whole chapter. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among all the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, 
Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Father, I pray that you would pierce our hearts with the truth of your word this morning for the glory of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to consider the first contrast here that I see in the text, and I believe that it is between a threatening reign and a threatened reign. Let's first consider the threatening nature of Jesus' reign by looking at Herod's response to the news of the birth of a new king. And the first place that we see this is in verse 3. After the wise men come from foreign lands, they say, we are looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews. Word comes to Herod about this, and this is his response in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Herod's initial response to the news that the wise men were searching for this newborn king was unrest. And the reason why Herod's initial reaction to this news was the fact that he was troubled within himself is obvious given how the text identifies Herod. When Herod the king heard this, you see at the time Herod was king in Jerusalem, he was king of the Jews. And so to hear a word that this new king of the Jews had been born would have been a very threatening reality to Herod. The presence of another king we see here is threatening his kingship and rule. And this threat that this news posed led Herod to determine the location of this new king, which he does by summoning together the Jewish religious leaders. And he calls them together and he says, tell me what the scriptures say about where the Messiah is to be born. And they tell Herod that the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea and they point to Micah 5.2 for proof of this. 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among all the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So now Herod has the location of the child, right? Bethlehem in Judea. And so now what Herod does with this information is he takes it and he seeks to secretly eliminate the threat to his rule and reign. He calls together the wise men in verses 7 and 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now we know as the story continues on that Herod's intentions here were evil, while the wise men's were pure. Which is why Herod needed to lie to the wise men about why he wanted to know where the child was. You see, Herod's fear of this child was very great. And the text is showing us this. That when Jesus comes on the scene, it threatens Herod with this unrest and this unceasing desire to find out where this child would be born. Herod continues on not only to feel threatened by Jesus, but to try to eliminate this threat. And in verse 16, we see the wicked act that Herod commands of his soldiers. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. In Herod's rage at the wise men, but more importantly, in his fear of this child, he sends his soldiers to kill all the two-year-old and younger boys in the region of Bethlehem. This is Herod's last effort to eliminate the threat that Jesus posed to his rule and his reign. You see, this narrative here is contrasting for us a threatened reign and a threatening reign. And by doing so, it's telling us something about Jesus his kingship, and his rule. The narrative here shows the effect that the arrival of the true king had on Herod. It was trouble, unrest. So much so that it led him to try to eliminate this rival king. Now what is the truth that we glean from this contrast for us? Jesus' reign threatens any rival reign. That's what we see here. And there are applications that we can make from this truth, both to the unbelievers who are here and the believers. First, to those of you who are here who do not believe, hear the words of commentator Dale Bruner on this passage. He says, Herod teaches that a reaction of raw human nature to the kingship of Jesus is rebellion. That when we in and of ourselves without the aid of the Holy Spirit respond to Jesus, it is in a way of rebellion. 
and not of submission. He continues, If Jesus is Lord, then we are not. If Jesus is King, then what we thought was our sovereignty is over. Now, although you do not have the opportunity to literally kill Jesus, as Herod did, you resist and fight against his reign in many other ways. Romans 1 tells us that the unbeliever suppresses the truth about God and that you seek to put God out of your mind completely. As you see the truth that has been set before you today, that Jesus' reign threatens any rival reigns, are you seeking to suppress and ignore this truth? Are you seeking to suppress and ignore and put out of your mind what the birth of Jesus truly means for you? If Jesus is who he says he is, then the truth is obvious. The reign you thought was yours is a mere figment of your imagination. It is a byproduct of your suppression of the truth. That you think you rule and reign over your own life. It's an illusion. It's not reality. Bruner also instructively addresses believers when he says, this original sin, that is this desire to reign that we see in Herod, lives on even in converted Christians. Herod lives tempting us ever and anew to doubt, hate, and resist the real king. Brothers and sisters, why is it often a struggle to dedicate one morning or day a week to pursuing your relationship with Jesus and his people? Why is there an inward battle and struggle to sacrifice things that steal your attention away from Christ and his kingdom? Why is there always this inward jockeying, this inner conflict to give back to God from what He has given to us? This struggle exists because what lived in the unbelieving Herod, that is His desire to reign, lives on in us. Now, it's not the dominating force within us. We're not enslaved to it, but still it lives on. Although you have trusted in Jesus, still there is an inward struggle to submit more and more to his rule and reign. So we see a little bit of Herod in ourselves, do we not? We even feel a little threatened when we see the reign of Jesus. This is the first contrast that Matthew puts forward before us between these two kings and these two reigns. That one is threatening and the other is threatened. But the question still remains, whose reign will prevail? Whose reign will win? The answer to this question is seen by our second contrast. And Matthew here aims to contrast the, an eternal and a temporary reign. 
Now, although the narrative never explicitly says that Jesus' reign is eternal, there are two things that Matthew does that would lead us to this conclusion. The first is that he shows that the reign of Jesus is a divinely protected reign. And we see this uh, in the story in the divine intervention that we see at very important parts of the narrative. We see angels come and in dreams and in visions speak to the main characters of this story in order to direct them in a certain way. In verse 12, we see that the wise men are warned in a dream not to return to Herod. This is God seeking to divinely protect the reign of his son. That they might not know the location of where Jesus was, that he might not be destroyed. So the wise men adhere to the dream and they go back to their land by a different way. In verse 13, Joseph is told in a dream to flee Bethlehem with Jesus and Mary because Herod is coming to seek to destroy the child. And what does he do? He listens, right? He takes Joseph or he takes Mary and Jesus and goes to Egypt. Again in verses 19 and 20, Joseph is spoken to in a dream to go back to the land of Israel after Herod's death. Again, we see this divine intervention in the story guiding and directing Jesus and his parents. And then finally in verse 22, Joseph is again warned in a dream to settle down in the district of Galilee because of the perceived threat by Herod's son, Archelaus. You see, at each point in the narrative where Jesus' reign, his life is either actually or potentially threatened, we see God intervene in order to protect his reign, in order to protect his son. You see, we don't see divine intervention coming to Herod's aid to get him to the child, but the reverse. The rule and reign of Jesus is divinely protected by God. And this divine intervention throughout the narrative shows that God is for the reign of his son and that he will protect it against any rivals. Matthew points us here to the never-ending reign of Jesus by showing that his reign is protected by God and that God is for his reign. Now this one is, that's a, potentially a little bit of a stretch, but I think that what we see here next is undeniable. Secondly, Matthew contrasts the living reign of Jesus with the death of Herod. Three times in the narrative, Matthew shows us how the reign of Herod will come to an end. But the most potent of these is in verse 20 when the angel tells Joseph to return to Israel. And this is what he says. Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Listen to this. For those who sought the child's life are dead. The threat is gone. The threat is no more. The antagonist in the story is dead. It's like when you read through this narrative and you are just like soaking it up and into it and you get to this point 
It's like that word when you read it ripples across the entire story. The reign of Herod has come to an end. You see, this emphasis on the temporary reign of Herod, the rival reign to Jesus in the story, solidifies Matthew's point. The reign of Jesus will never end. It will last forever. Now what is the truth that we need to see in this for us? It's very simple. Jesus' reign will outlast ours. Jesus' reign will outlast ours. And again, there are both applications to be made here to the unbeliever as well as the believer. Those of you who are suppressing the truth about Jesus' rightful kingship, you are living in a fictional world. You're not living in reality. It's a world that you have constructed to ignore the truth that has been shown to you in the word this morning. It's a world that resembles a theater. It's as though you live your life behind the curtain that cuts you off from reality and allows you to believe that you are king and that you rule and reign. But what this truth, that Jesus' reign will outlast yours, is meant to do for you this morning is to open up the curtain. And allow you to see what is true. The question is, when the curtain is pulled back, what will you see? I believe that what you will see is Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up its dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now I would ask you, who is sitting on the throne? But I think that you already know the answer to that. This scene in Revelation shows us the end of all of those who refuse to bow their knee to the one true king and submit to his rule and reign. They will stand guilty before his judgment throne. 
You see, this same king that we see was born in Bethlehem is the one who is now seated on that throne and who will be there when the curtain is pulled back. But you must understand something about this king. His reign is not cold and he does not hold his kingship with a stony heart. He rules and reigns in mercy and in grace. And should you bow your knee to Him today, repenting of your sins, turning to Him, trusting Him, submitting to His rule and reign, He will accept you into His kingdom. Now while the rule and reign of Jesus this never-ending will outlast your rule and reign. This truth should be a sobering truth for the unbeliever. For those of us who believe, it should be a joyful reality. Brothers and sisters, although you struggle to live your life in submission to the reign of your king, still his eternal reign should bring joy to your hearts in this season. Why? Why should his rule and reign bring joy to your hearts? We should be filled with joy as we see how our king has determined to use his eternal reign. And this scripture tells us how. There is a truth here that this text shows and that every Christian ought to remind us of or every Christmas ought to remind us of that should free our hearts to lay them down, to lay down this inward jockeying that we have with God. There is a truth here. Matthew has showed us how God has determined to use His rule and reign. He has determined to use it for His glory and for the good of his people. And the beautiful thing is that in the providence and sovereignty of God, his glory and our good simultaneously go hand in hand. So that our good doesn't have to be sacrificed for his glory. Nor vice versa. Both of these things work simultaneously together. The glory of God and the good of his people. You see, we see in our king a desire to be with his people and to save his people. This is what marks the Christmas season. This is what marks our religion. This is what marks Christianity. The story of this text and of Christmas is a story about a king who does not dwell isolated from his people, but of a king who willingly becomes like his people that he might save them. This is the way that God has determined to use his rule and reign. And he didn't have to do this. He could have stayed in heaven. But instead, he decides to use his rule and reign for his glory and our good as he condescends to be with us and to save us. Now, lest you think that this was just back then, 2,000 years ago, 
and that this truth has no bearing on where we are today or on our future, let me read a couple verses for you that speak about the end. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice coming from where? From the throne. Saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Do you see the way that God has determined to use His rule and reign for His people? To be with them. and To save them. To be their God. And to make all things new. So brothers and sisters, if that's what God determined 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born to use His rule and reign in that way, and if on the other side we see that His rule and reign is manifested in the same way when we reach eternity, what does that say about our present? That even now He is using His rule and reign to be with us and to save us. Is there anything more that is needed than this to melt our hearts before Him and to bring us into a willing submission to Him? Church, our King is worthy of our trust. Do we see that this morning? He's worthy. For He has come to save us and to be with us. These are the beautiful truths that we have seen about the rule and reign of Jesus as it is contrasted with that of Herod. That Jesus' rule and reign is a threatening reign and that it will outlast ours, that it is an eternal reign. What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to what we have seen of our King this morning? Whether you are an unbeliever here or a believer, we ought to say the same thing and with one accord. We need only say what the wise men in our story have already said. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star and we have come to worship him. The only appropriate response to what we have seen in the word this morning is to worship the king. For he is worthy of our praise 
Indeed, he is worthy of our lives. So let us go from here seeking his grace to worship him more fully. Father, I pray that your spirit would be working within us, changing us, allowing us to see the beauty and the glory of our King and the way in which he is determined to use his rule and reign and that our hearts might be lifted up to worship him. Lord, as we go from here, might our lives testify to the truth that you are our king as we worship you in word, thought, and in deed. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.